It is another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager, but somebody who's still an active investor. And I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster, also an investor. And we want to talk about the eighth wonder of the world. We all know about the seven, Ron. They're well documented. But the eighth wonder of the world is that magic of compounding. Absolutely. And what compounding is, Gord, it's simply plowing your profits back in so that you're earning interest on your interest. So if you made $50 on a dividend and you plowed that back in, now you're going to get, let's say, 4% dividend. Rather, on $1,000, you're going to get it on $1,050 because you've taken that money and put it back in. And so it's that interest on the interest that really allows you to, over time, build a gigantic snowball so your investments get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And I guess what this comes down, I think back to when I was a, a youngster and I had a paper route. And I was making a little bit of money, I opened a bank account. And I put the money in my savings account. Back then we were getting, I don't know what, what the percentage was, but there was something. So, But before you can start compounding, you have to start saving, don't you? Yeah, and uh, after we finish this series on compounding, that's where we're going next. We're going to talk about how to up your savings game. So if you want to become reasonably financially self-sufficient, the two things you've got to learn about are how to save and how to compound. If you can do that, you can have very conservative investments. We're going to get into that here in a minute. But you can have very conservative investments and make it. I mean, Warren Buffett has said, my wealth has come from a combination of living in America, some lucky genes, and I understand compound interest. Albert Einstein, who has often been thought of as the smartest person who's ever existed, said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, and he who understands it earns it, and he who doesn't understand it pays it. So compounding is a double-edged sword. It works both ways if you've got lots of debt. It just means that the debt grows and grows, and eventually as it gets bigger, it starts to snowball too. And I guess for those of us, Ron, that own homes, that might be a good place to start. That's kind of sort of the sterling example, isn't it? it it's absolutely the sterling example of buying something, putting it away, and letting it grow. Now, real estate in most parts of the country, prices haven't skyrocketed. If you're outside of Vancouver or Toronto, home prices after taxes and maintenance have only grown by a couple of percentage points a year. What has caused the giant increase in value is the power of compounding, relentlessly pushing up the total value higher and higher over time. Living in one place for a couple of decades and keeping it in good repair? Presto whammo. The outcome seems almost magical. Over 20 or 30 years, most people have done extremely extraordinarily well on their homes, and it's just because they've let compounding work. Yeah, you haven't had to work too hard at it. You just make that mortgage payment every month, right, until you get it paid off, and then, then you sit there on the equity. It's exactly what you do. All right, let's talk about, and this one's been around for a long time, but we haven't talked about I don't know that we've talked about it on the show, the rule of 72. I remember when I first heard this, and, I, and I'm reasonably good at math. I went, it was really quite eye-opening. The problem people have is the, the math involved in doing financial calculations often overwhelms them. They don't know how to use a financial calculator. And so this is a way to quickly figure out uh, how compounding 
can work on a particular investment. Let me give you an example. If you divide the rate of return that you're achieving on an investment by 72 into 72, it will tell you how many years it will take you to double your money. If your return is 10% per annum, money will double in roughly 7.2 years. Now, if you're getting 2% per annum, like a lot of GICs are paying, and many are paying even less, well, at 2%, you divide that into 72, your money doubles every 36 years. Most people only have a 35 to 40-year work life. It means that over that entire work life, your money is only doubled at 2%. So these are examples that really highlight the importance of making sure that your dollars are working as hard as they can and not left to gather dust in a checking account. But now if you take that rule of 72 and you weave that in with the magic of compounding, then you start to see the universe unfold. Exactly. So there's two things here. There's compounding versus non-compounding. And the rule of 72 illustrates the difference. If money earned 10% and were not reinvested, well, it takes 10 years to double. So if you have an investment, it's earning 10% per year, and you just stuck that money in a, under a rock, in 10 years you double your money. But if you plowed your profits back in so that there you're getting interest on interest, then you divide the rate of return, which is 10%, into 7.2 years, and guess what? Your money doubles in 7.2 years. So even over a decade, you've got an advantage of 2.8 years of just leaving your money there or, or letting it, letting it, putting it back in and keeping it working hard for you. And also, if you follow the rule of 72 and you earn 10% per year, you can see how the compounding works. Your money doubles in every 7.2 years, increases by four times in 14.4 years, eight times in 21.6 years, 16 times in 28.8 years, 32 times in 36 years, and 64 times in 43.2 years. So over 43.2 years, you, if you work it backwards with just simple, simple interest or, or simple math, you're seeing that your money is doubling like uh, about one and a half times every year. So the longer you let compounding work, the better it gets. And I suppose there'd be those naysayers out there, Ron, it's only natural, say, well, yeah, but not everybody makes 10% a year. That's that's one that it's easy to work with. We have good years where you might make 15 20%. You have bad years where only you make 2 or 3%, or maybe you lose a little bit of money. But over time, the 10% is a sterling example of how this can work, right? Absolutely, and I think the great one of the great examples is buying Coca-Cola stock. If you bought Coca-Cola stock back in 1919, over the next 93 years, you would have seen the stock have exponential growth in just the share price. So back then, a share would have been worth about $40. If you held it for 93 years, the value would have gone up to 341000 but if you take in the dividends, and this company has managed to increase its dividend just about every year over that term. So if you took the dividends, bought more shares, so you're earning growth on reinvested income, that value over those 90 years, instead of being $341,000, it would have grown to $9.8 And the big difference here is that people don't realize that over the long term, almost half or 42% of total returns that the stock markets generate doesn't come from the gains on the stock, but it comes from the dividends that these stocks produce. 
And we've talked about dividends a lot on the show, Ron, and, and drip dividend reinvestment plans. That's a key to a really good investment strategy. Maybe it doesn't have to be your whole investment strategy, but it certainly it almost should be the backbone, shouldn't it? It should really be the backbone, especially if you're trying to put together a portfolio for longer term, is buying companies that can grow their dividends and you can reinvest those dividends is really a simple way to build a very nice, solid blue-chip portfolio over the long term. Okay, I think another key here is, and I referenced this myself back when I was a paper boy and I opened my first bank account when I was about 13 years old or something, I, I remember drilling this into our kids' heads saying, guys, start early. Start putting your money in the bank. Start saving it. You know, I've encouraged both of them to become investors. I think the, the younger you start, the better, isn't it? Imagine if you were 27 years old and you put $2,000 per year in a retirement account until the age of 65. So you're 38 years. Yeah. So yeah. if that money were to earn 10% a year, and here again, we're just using 10% because it helps everybody understand the math because it's easy to do the divisions and multiplications with that. He or she would have accumulated 883185 So that's $2,000 per year for... Uh, until you're 65. Now imagine you're a teenager, and let's say you get a paper route like you had, Gord, but instead of contributing every year, you're contributing only between 19 and 26. So there's eight years altogether that you're, that you're putting money away. So you put $2,000 per year in a retirement account just for those few years, and you don't add a dime for the next 38 years. Your money earned 10%, that kid would have $1,040,000. So by just putting 2000 a year and starting a lot earlier, that kid would have literally 20% more than the other person who committed $2,000 a year between 27 and the age of 65. So starting early means you can earn way more while putting in way less. And if there's somebody out there right now who's thinking, oh, that can't be, hey, mathematics is a constant, friend. <laughs> It doesn't lie. <laughs> when you do the compounding interest on that, those are the numbers you end up with, right? Oh, yeah. And, of course, if you do this over a longer period of time, um, certainly, you know, there's the old example of Columbus who uh, sailed to America in 1492. And so if you put $5,000 a day, you set it aside between 1492 and October of 2019, I did this calculation here about five, six months ago, actually, and just didn't have a chance to use it on a show. And then you hid the money in a cave. So you put $5,000 aside every single day for over 500 years. 500 and you, 527 or something, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would have less money than Jeff Bezos makes in a single month. As of October 2019, that non-compounded total, in other words, you're just putting the money aside in a cave, you're not compounding, would grow to $938 million. Now, just imagine you came here in 1492 and you took $1 and you put $1 in and you compounded it at 4.1%. In other words, we're not talking 10%, 20% outrageous returns. We're talking 4.1%. You'd have... $1.57 billion now. So you'd have uh, literally 60% more than the person who put $5,000 a day in for 500 years and didn't compound it. 
and you're starting with $1 once. So if you want to make your money grow, time and compounding work, letting your money sit idle and not earning interest, and you'd be amazed at how many people have huge bank accounts, and the money is earning nothing. Wow, that's, that is uh, pretty incredible numbers. Here's one for you. If you bought $10,000 worth of stock and it compounded at 10% per year for 20 years, at the end of the two decades, if you sold it and paid your 25% capital gains tax, you'd be left with $52,995.50. But now what happens if you take the formula the next step, Ron? Well, let's say you're more active. So you're not just buying $10,000 sticking it away for, for 20 years and not touching the portfolio and just letting it grow. What you're doing is you're more active. So let's say you trade the entire portfolio every year. So at the end of the year, you sell everything that's in the portfolio and you buy a whole bunch of new socks, and then you do that every year for the next 20 years. If you did that, the difference is that you're going to pay taxes every year instead of at the end of 20 years. So instead of letting your money grow for 20 years in compound before paying tax, you're whittling it down by 25%. So you're only getting to actually invest 75% of your profits each year versus 100% of your profits if you had a buy and hold strategy. You would end up with $42,478. So you would have roughly $10,500 less over 20 years. And that works out to uh, about 25% more if all you did was trade less, pay less taxes, and let your money compound. Again, the magic of compounding unrolls and shows you the way. (laughs) Exactly. Now, what I think we should probably do here, Gord, is we've got, uh, actually, I think we can probably cover this yet this show, but uh, we've got, we're, we're going to try and slide into simple ways to compound your money. And uh, so I was just wondering whether we should do that this show or we should carry that on I think I, I think we've got enough time here, Ron. Let's do that. Let's, let's talk about some ways to compound your money. So putting stocks, ETFs, and mutual funds on dividend reinvestment. We talked about that just a few minutes ago. That's a real critical key here. Yeah, so literally go through your portfolio. And generally, if you're investing, there'll be a website that you can go to at the investment firm you're with, or if you're with a full-service brokerage firm, uh, you can just phone them up and say, look, I have stocks, I have ETFs, I have mutual funds, and I'd like them to be all put on the dividend reinvestment plan if I possibly could. Now, there's some maybe you want to get the cash from so it can be part of your income, but if you're at the point where you're still working and you've got excess capital anyways, you might as well take those dividends and replow them back in to the investment. So uh, if you have a full-service firm, they'll do that for you. If you have a firm that may be a discount firm, you're probably going to have to take a few more steps, but you can do it. So just check on the website and find out how you can drip your stocks and then go ahead and do it. What about people that buy GICs, Ron? What's the best strategy there? Well, here again... Uh, generally, when you buy a GIC, you have the opportunity to either take interest monthly, quarterly, quarterly semi-annually, annually, or you have the compound option. And especially if you're in tax-free or deferred accounts where the tax on the interest is not payable every year, uh, compound works very, very good there. So if you're buying GICs, 
in an RSP or a TFSA, buy the compound interest version of that product. Buy strip bonds in tax-free or deferred accounts? You know, strip bonds, people haven't in, haven't seen those for a while. Yeah. yeah, heard about those because interest rates are down. But one of these days, interest rates will go up again. And strip bonds, frankly, are bonds that compound. You buy them at what's called a discount. So if you bought a bond that was uh, paid 10% uh, in 7.2 years, it would double. So if the bond matured at $10,000, you'd buy the strip bond at $5,000. You'd put it in. You'd leave it there for 7.2 years, and it would double for you. So strip bonds are an ideal way to save, especially if you're going out five years, because that's typically as long as you can buy a GIC for. If rates get higher, I mean, we saw the first 20 to 25 years of my career, I was able to buy strip bonds anywhere between 6% and 18% interest rates over that period. So, you know, it varied back in the early 80s. Rates obviously were a lot higher, but uh, they'll have their day in the sun again. So it's just one of those investment tools that if interest rates get higher, you want to start locking in those high rates for a long period of time and strip bonds in a tax-free or deferred account are an excellent way to do that. And if you're buying stocks, the old buy and hold strategy really important here? Yeah, buy and hold and uh, then just wait, especially if you own things like water utilities, electrical utilities, things that really don't change, where demand doesn't change much over time. Water utilities, demand does not change much. Maybe gets a little higher each year as more and more people use more and more water on their, on their gardens and things. But frankly, it's a steady eddy. Those are the kind of stocks that are really excellent for the, for the dividend reinvestment plan. They're also excellent for not trading because every time you sell, capital gains has to be paid. And the longer you can compound $0.100 cent dollars rather than $0.75 cent dollars, the more money you'll make. What about real estate and precious metals? Precious metals here, again, if you buy gold, uh, it's like a home. If you buy gold and let it compound and don't touch it, well, you're not going to have to pay tax on that until you sell. Same thing with real estate. If you buy a piece of real estate, like a rental property, obviously there's going to be some rental income that you have to pay, but you can often deduct a lot of your expenses against that. But you buy a property out of the lake, for example. Most Alberta real estate properties, if they bought a property at the lake 30 years ago, it's worth a uh, fortune. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's worth a fortune now. Yep. I mean, even on an Alberta lake, it's worth a fortune. So compounding really, really works, and it takes the stress away because you don't have to think about it. You just let it run. Okay, buy compounding interest and dividend-paying investments in a tax-deferred account. You know, if you have interest-bearing investments or dividend investments, frankly, even if you compound a GIC in a regular investment account, you have to pay tax on that income whether you receive it or not. Same with the dividend. But if you buy them in an RSP or you buy them in a tax-free savings account, uh, the annual taxes are either going to be deferred or they're going to be eliminated. Okay, what about your principal residence? That is tax-free, at least so far. <laughs> yeah, your principal residence, if generally, if you're flipping houses, you buy a house and flip it every couple months, well, Revenue Canada is probably going to have some questions for you. But if you're like most of us, you buy a residence, and you live in it for an extended period of time and you sell it, uh, those gains are tax-free. So uh, they're an excellent way to grow over time. In fact, if you look at the average Canadian, 
for most of them, their home has been by far their best investment. Finally, life insurance, which uh, I have just put into this presentation. I forgot all about it, actually, and most people have forgotten about it. It has the ability to compound tax-free, and if you pass, the death benefit comes out, and you can use that to pay taxes on stocks, on money you take out of your RSP, and it gives your kids a tax-free lump of cash that they can use to pay the taxes on the other thing, or if you don't have any taxes owing, it's just a tax-free lump sum that they can use to distribute among the beneficiaries. Well, you know, Ron, a little anecdotally thing here. Uh, when I was a youngster, uh, my mom and dad bought my first insurance policy for me, I think when I was 12, on my grandfather's recommendation. And I've always been a believer in life insurance. I think it's, it's a good thing if you have a family, you certainly want to protect them. If you're healthy enough to get it, let me put that caveat in there. But it can, it can be a, a little bit of a cornerstone of building a good financial future too, can't it? Oh, I think that life insurance for most people is a very good product. Now, if you're so wildly rich that it really doesn't matter, well, um, there's there might be other products that are better for you. But if you have a business and you've got a partner, well, cross-insuring yourself can be very, very helpful. If you have, for example, you buy a life insurance policy, so one of your kids inherits the farm, the others don't, well, the policy can be used to pay out the other kids to kind of equalize the estate. So there's a lot of really great uses for for life insurance, and like you say, it's that uh, tax-free compounding and payout that uh, really can make life insurance a very e excellent in investment when you're looking for after-tax returns. So there you go, the magic of compounding, the eighth wonder of the world. It's uh, something to be investigated, something to learn a little bit more about. Hopefully, we gave you the foundations for it here on Making Money. Remember, if you missed the episode or you want something that we've referenced, go back to makingmoney.ca is our website. You can certainly find our archived shows there. Also, Ron's Money Minutes, which he does every week. There's usually five a week unless there's a holiday in there. And there's sort of current snapshots of what the market is doing and some of the things that are happening in the financial world. If you have a question for us, you can reach us there. Ron, we're back next week, and we're going to talk about how to, you reference this, how to up your savings game, correct? We're going to be talking about different ways for you to save that takes the pain out of trying to figure out at the end of the month what to do. And we have a lot of recommendations for you. Saving is actually the key to the wealth building because if you don't have the fuel, you don't have the fire. So being able to put away money regularly over a long period of time is the key to building wealth, and we're going to be getting deep into exactly how to do that. All right. Join us next week for another edition of Making Money. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you next time. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.